0: From APM, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. Any parent can tell you that after-school sports and activities can be expensive. A recent report from American Express claims that parents spend an average of $455 per child on after-school programs per year, which is a 20% increase from last year. Sports have long been an avenue for low-income students to get scholarships to college, but that won't be an option if the cost of after-school sports and activities continues to rise. WGBH's Kirk Carapeza reports.
1: Single. It's early on a Friday morning, and the Jeremiah Burke Bulldogs are practicing baseball at Boston's Ronan Park, overlooking the gleaming Dorchester Bay. Players shag fly balls and snag grounders, and then they warm up their arms. Catch you Wayne. Bulldogs baseball is free, and it's one of the few opportunities catcher Jazari Jones can afford. When the camps come up and it's kind of like stopping you because they're like almost like $600, almost $1,000 to get in. Standing on the sidelines, Jazari's dad, Raymond, says his son would like to play college sports, But he worries the cost of expensive sports programs has set him back. Financially, we just couldn't afford it. So it was like he didn't really stop playing until he got to high school. So the exposure isn't really there. And it's really frustrating, especially when your kid really, really wants to play and he has the talent to play. Students like Jazari are increasingly getting priced out of specialized camps and pay-to-play programs, which require families to pay user fees so their kids can participate. And that doesn't come without consequences, says Harvard professor Robert Putnam.
2: The number of working-class kids or kids in poverty who are taking part in school-related extracurricular activities is declining.
1: In his book, Our Kids, the American Dream in Crisis, Putnam finds since 1983, America's wealthiest families have increased spending on their children by 75 percent. That's compared to a 22 percent drop at the bottom of the income scale. As a result, Putnam says... Fewer poor kids are getting the advantages that come with playing extracurricular sports.
2: From cradle to Ph.D., there are these growing gaps.
1: How does participation in high school sports relate to college access?
2: We know that taking part in extracurricular activities builds soft skills. That is, kids learn in those activities. They learn the skills of teamwork. They learn grit, what my mom would have called gumption, or stick to To help more students gain access to college, a local nonprofit, the Cannonball
1: Foundation, is working with high school players and their coaches to get them the mentoring they need to get into college and play sports there. I think you guys as coaches being advocates for those kids and just making sure that they're aware of the opportunity. That's Boston College baseball coach Greg Sullivan speaking to high school coaches on a two-day bus tour organized by the foundation. Right now, Sullivan admits his scouts tend to go to private showcases, so they're missing an entire population of low-income students. Sometimes families can't get in the car and spend the weekend down at Diamond Nation, so they're stuck playing American Legion baseball. They're very limited to their opportunities. After meeting with Sullivan, the coaches leave B.C. and board a bus bound for other elite colleges. Sitting in the back is Paul Duhame, head coach of the Jeremiah Burke Bulldogs. He wants his players to get the college advantage. If they can get their foot in the door and shut their mouth and listen to the teacher and do their work and do the right thing, you know, they can get out of the hood. Duhaime says each season he tries to teach his players life skills through baseball, delivering passionate pep talks.
0: What I do at Burke High School is motivation.
2: Motivation, motivation, motivation. There are times where I'm not... Working on a baseball
0: situation, I'm working on a lifestyle situation.
1: On the field, catcher Jazari Jones says he's learned skills that he couldn't learn in the classroom. I think it was a year back I failed off the team my first, my second time playing. I could have still played, but coach didn't let me. And now, like, hustling on the field, and made me hustle in the classroom, and it just made me, like, get my stuff up and work harder. Jazari hopes his hard work pays off. Next fall, he expects to be the first in his family to go to college. Kirk Kerrick has WGBH,
0: Boston's local NPR. And as you heard, Kirk sat down with Harvard professor Robert Putnam, author of Our Kids, the American Dream in Crisis. Here's some more of that interview. So, Professor Putnam, your research has found that certain advantages
1: are picking up for kids born to the right parents. Increasingly, you've said the have's have it all when when you look at the growing gaps you know or, or some people describe it as the hollowing out of the america's middle class in terms of school sports specifically how is the top pulling away from the bottom
2: well first of all in school most kids coming from college educated homes take part in extracurricular activities that is school related extracurricular activities but the number of working-class kids or kids in poverty who are taking part in school-related extracurricular activities is declining largely because of policies, pay-to-play policies, that school boards across the country have instituted in the last 20 years. Of course, even more, you see that growing gap in terms of privately provided um, extracurricular opportunities, that is, travel, travel soccer teams or or, um, you know, special orchestral or choral opportunities that are not just related to school. So it's a it's a double whammy that the kids from, from low-income backgrounds are facing. They don't have access to the privately provided activities um, that affluent kids increasingly do. And in addition, they are now being priced out of what used to be available to all kids all over the country, just by virtue of being kids, that is the chance to play, you know high school football or high school baseball or or trombone.
1: How does participation in high school sports or access to these private programs or pay to play programs relate to college access?
2: Well, actually, the most important connection is for most kids is that, we know that taking part in extracurricular activities of all sorts, sports and non-sports, school-related and independent, builds soft skills. That is, kids learn in those activities. They learn the skills of teamwork. You know, they learn grit, what my mom would have called gumption or stick to um, And that should not be surprising that there are these strong effects First of all, those effects mean that kids coming from those backgrounds, controlling for everything else, if you play high school sports or play in, or in, you're involved in high school extracurricular activities, your lifetime income will be higher. Even holding constant your, you know, your test scores and other things that affect your employability, because employers increasingly will pay for teamwork skills and and um, and grit and determination. And that shouldn't be surprising because extracurricular activities were not invented by God. They were invented by educational reformers in America around just about 100 years ago now. People who were reforming American secondary education in that period said, well, we've got to teach kids reading, writing, arithmetic, chemistry, whatever, but we also have to teach them what we now call soft skills. They didn't call them soft skills. They called it writ and, and character and so on. So it's not an accident that taking part in extracurricular activities has powerful effects on, first of all, on kids' soft skills, and secondly, on therefore, on their lifetime income and their prospects in life. Of course, in addition, there's another way in which taking part in high school uh, sports especially can have an effect. That is, if you're really good at high school sports, you can then maybe qualify for college Scholarships and that would also help you get to college. And if kids can't take part in, you know, in high school sports, they're not they're not going to be able to compete for those college scholarship athletic scholarships. I that's an important effect. But I would want to emphasize that actually the other effect of taking part in extracurricular activities that is the effect on just your own skills and your own determination. You know, it's 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 pretty simple. It's that it's what I learned when I was, when I was in high school, and and the good taxpayers of my hometown paid for m- my trombone, and they paid for my my um, uh, five years of of trombone lessons, and they paid for the co- high school band director, and they played for the Friday Night Lights, and so on, and they did that not because I was going to become a professional trombone player, or even that I was going to get a trombone you know scholarship to college, but they did that for all the kids in town and they did it because just it's part of what education
1: was about in your book our kids the american dream and crisis you write about this this idea of kind of the privatization right of people looking out for their kids but not not looking at you know people in the poorer districts and 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 seeing them as part of our society and part of our team right do you you know as as the richest families in the country increase spending on their children and you know the poorest families have you know, continue to to drop the amount of, or decrease the amount of money they're funding. Are you concerned that this stratification is intractable?
2: Well, intractable is a pretty strong word. That means we can do nothing about it. No, I don't think it's intractable. I think it's, it's deplorable, actually. Um, in fact, I think it's evil. I mean, I think we have as much obligation to all of these kids in town to provide them with basic opportunities and skills. And that's not just reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's also the skills that you know that that affluent parents recognize the importance of those skills. That's why they're paying for their kids to take part in traveling league soccer or or giving them piano lessons. And um, so, so
1: if, if it's if it's not intractable but deplorable, what's what's the solution? H- how do you level the playing field well, so more low-income students can actually access get those skills, and then with those skills access college and go on to succeed?
2: Well, remember this. This is not some bizarre plan that I'm importing from, I don't know, Sweden or Denmark, this was America. Two-thirds of the 20th, for two, the first two-thirds of the 20th century, every kid in America, just by virtue of being a kid who was going to school, had access to these extracurricular opportunities. I'm not, I mean, I'm just saying it's, we have to reverse this idea that we should only be caring about our own biological kids. That's actually where the title of my book comes from, because when I was growing up, In the 1950s, the 1950s was not a perfect place, but when my parents or their peers, other parents in town, talked about doing things for our kids. You know, they said, we've got to pay higher taxes, maybe even have a bond issue and borrow some money for the school district so that we can have a better Olympic quality swimming pool. They did not, when my parents said we've got to do that for our kids, they did not mean my sister and me. They meant for all the kids in town. And we built, and when they paid the taxes and built the pool, it wasn't in my, our backyard just for me and my sister. It was for every kid in town. And, but over the course of the last sort of 30 or 40 years, there's been a shriveling of our sense of responsibility to all the kids in town. So now when people talk about doing things for our kids, they mean doing things for their biological kids. And you know, if you go back to my town, a small town in Ohio, and now and there are lots of poor kids there now, people say, "Well, they're not my kids. They're somebody else's kids. Let them worry about them." And that's the change that's happened. We become much as a society much more focused only on ourselves and only on our own biological offspring, and that's really bad for the country, very bad for the country in a number of ways. First of all, I think it's actually contrary to the fundamental principles of American democracy, the fundamental idea that everybody ought to have a fair start in life. But secondly, it's really bad economically because, look, these poor kids who constitute roughly speaking about a third of all kids in America, there are lots of really talented kids in that in that lower income pool, very talented kids. And lots of those really talented kids are not going to go to college, be- and not just because of the cost of college, but because they've been held back at every stage of their life. That's what the my book shows, that it's not just when you get to college that the barriers kick in. The barriers are even powerful, even preschool. And so there are a lot of really smart kids from poor backgrounds who are being held back now I don't mean held back by the schools. I mean being there are obstacles in their way to to getting to college. And that means they're not going to contribute to the economy. And we can't afford in this contemporary world to write off a third of the potential talent in the country. There are a lot of bright ideas, great inventions, new industries even that could be invented by those kids, but they're not going to because we've not thought of them as our kids. It's very costly. I can even put a number on it. The cost to the whole country, including me and my kids who are on the upside of the opportunity gap, the cost to us of not investing adequately in these poor kids is going to be about five trillion dollars. Trillion worth of T. That's a lot of money. And so it's bad for the whole country, including those of us whose own kids, biological kids, are doing fine. It's going to be bad for us that these other poor kids are being left by the wayside.
1: And so so what's what's the prescription? Are you asking you're looking for you know taxpayer support for these programs sure. to make sure kids are getting the opportunities? Absolutely. The... I mean,
2: not only that, of course, there are a lot of things we can do. I mean we I mean, we've been focusing here in this discussion only on you know extracurricular activities mm-hmm. in in secondary school, and that's an important point because it illustrates the privatization that that we've been talking about. It's not the only fix, but I have to keep emphasizing. Until very recently, for mo- almost 100 years, every school in America provided free access to all kids in the school for extracurricular activities. That's the new thing, and that's the thing that is D-U-M-B. So yes, I'm suggesting we should pay higher taxes or cut something else in order to continue to provide all kids with these same opportunities
1: but but what's compounding the problem even if you went back to that era where you know extracurriculars were paid for by taxpayers you know with taxpayer dollars sure you have these the affluent families you know willing to spend more so that their kid can go to you know some some baseball camp or tennis camp down sure. in Florida and that's where these coaches are going to to find these these students and, and dole out scholarships to make college more affordable can you you can't blame those families I mean they're going that's human nature right to continue to invest if you have the means to invest more yeah, in your kids yeah well it's,
2: it's I have to agree it's become human nature I mean after all people didn't do that um, you know 30 or 40 years ago right? um, there was not anything like this same proliferation of of um, privately provided um Camps and so on. I mean, I went to summer camp, and but it wasn't, you know, it was just summer camp. It was not like I was being scouted for.
1: Right, you weren't being taught how to throw a curveball or. No, right. exactly,
2: <laughs> um, and and there were and lots of and the costs of going to summer camp in the in those days were much lower, and therefore there were not big economic barriers to going to summer camp. You could get fellowships easily and so on.
1: But it's not just money; it's also time,
2: and right? It, I mean, absolutely, it's, it's... and it's encouragement for your parents and so on. Look. I'm not suggesting that we should pass a law saying no parent can help their kids. Of course, that'd be dumb. I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting that we ought to think about all of the kids in town as in some sense also our kids and we ought to be willing to invest in them as well as in our own biological kids.
0: That was Harvard professor Robert Putnam speaking with Kirk Carapeza, education reporter for WGBH, Boston Public Radio. You can find a link to Kirk Carapeza's work at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. While you're there, you'll find podcasts about issues in higher ed and K-12 education, and you can browse through our archive of more than 100 documentary projects. You can also let us know what you think of our coverage, AmericanRadioWorks.org. We would love to hear what this podcast made you think about, whether you'll share it with friends or colleagues, or did it change your ideas about the cost of school sports programs? Let us know at AmericanRadioWorks.org. We are on Facebook at American.RadioWorks, and you can follow us on Twitter at A M AMRadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from Lumina Foundation, the Spencer Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM.